I'm Nicolette, and today Brian and I are here with Dr. I. She is the founder of Classroom Without Walls and also an educational consultant, and she's going to talk to us today about a topic that is definitely on the top of a lot of people's minds right now, especially parents. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. I. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to Classroom Without Walls? Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, really honored. Yeah, so for me, uh, I taught in the classroom for 10 plus years, and I spent almost two decades uh, in higher education. And a few years uh, into my teaching career, I started to, to notice that students, they don't really enjoy being in the classroom. And in fact, research has shown that student disengagement is pretty high as they grow older from middle school to high school to college, this engagement is uh, increasing. And, uh, and uh, at the same time, I, I notice the most uh, common questions that my own students ask me were, Dr. I, will this be on the exam? Dr. I, if I go to your event, are you going to give me a point? Dr. I, is this an A idea? Is this a C idea? So I, I noticed and discovered that students, they don't really enjoy the journey of learning, even though it is the journey that is transforming the students. They only care about their GPA. And uh, I noticed this model is not working and uh, nobody enjoyed being in the classroom. And uh, at the same time, I was having conversations with other friends, other teachers in different schools. And uh, what I am experiencing in my classroom is pretty common across at least in the United States. And uh, so the pattern continued and I tried to change, innovate within the system, but it is very hard. I don't know if you have heard of the saying, which is the master's tools cannot dismantle the master's house. Mm -hmm. So for me, Every time when I was trying to disrupt the system within the system, the system <laughs> was changing me. So I said it was about, you know, mid-age crisis and uh, right after my sabbatical and I asked myself a very audacious question. I, enough is enough. Do you want to be part of the problem or you want to be part of the solution, you know? With my mid-age crisis, I, I told myself, I want to be part of the solution. And to make a long story short, I resigned from my associate professor position, and I haven't even told my parents yet. And so I resigned from that position and started building my own school. It has been an incredible journey. And now seeing the transformation in my students within a matter of two days, two learning sessions. So now I ask a very different question. The question that I used to ask was, what's wrong with today's students, right? Why they don't care about learning? But now the question I ask is, what is wrong with today's education? And I think uh, another one of my favorite quotes is, when the flower is not blooming, we don't blame the flower we fix the environment in which the flower grows. And that is how I think about today's education. As educators, as parents, as school leaders, 
we tend to label our children all the time, right? We were trying to fix the flower, ADHD, you know, A students, you are such a loser, oh, no hope for you. <laughs> but I think that is wrong. I think it is time that we stop labeling our students, but actually examine the environment in which our children grow. And just as I mentioned earlier, seeing the transformation in my own students, I'm so convinced that our children are perfect. And what is really uh, wrong is really the system. So that's kind of my journey and my story. So, so, Go ahead. I've got yeah. so many Go I know, I know. <laughs> me too, me too. So my first question is, and something you said actually brought something up. When you talked about participation and being in class, right? Is that why so many educators make part of your grade participation of the class? Because I remember being in school, you know, college or, you know, even high school and going, you know, I know the subject matter. Like, why am I even showing up, right? But participation was part of my grade. So I need, I needed an attendance was part of my grade sometimes. So you needed to show up and it sort of just forced you to be there. And don't get me wrong. I believe there's part of the journey, you know, you need to go through too. But is that why educators were to keep the kids in school? Is that why they made that part of the grade? Amen, exactly, right? And then we have been following this reward and punishment system for so many years. And that's why by the time that a kid gets to higher education, they lose their intrinsic desire to learn. And they have to go to class because they can earn a point. They have to do this because they, otherwise they will be punished. But when you look at children, very young children, like uh, my younger son is five years old. He loves learning, even like two years old. They love learning. Mm -hmm. You don't have to give them an A to show up to class. You don't have to give them a point. They want to learn. To them, it is so fun. They want to be part of this learning journey. But because of the old system, we are using reward punishment. You did such a great job. Here is a star right? You did such a horrible job. Here is a C. And after doing that for, imagine, for two decades, yeah, by the time they get to high, high school or college age, and yeah, unless you give me something, reward <laughs> or punishment, I'm now going to show up. Right. So yeah, so we can't really blame the students. It's like, you know, train a dog. When you ring the bell, the dog will come to you, you know, I want to eat something. Mm -hmm. So the same way that we're training a dog, we're using the same system, the same method to train our children. So by, that, by the time they come to college, yeah, give me something. Otherwise, I don't want to do the work. So I will get to some of the things that I wanted to talk about, especially with everything going on, but I think you disrupted Nicolette. Yeah, you just, yeah. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about the techniques? Because you mentioned um, the transformation in just a few sessions. You know, what types of techniques are you employing? And, um, you know, what about the children then in those techniques? How do you accommodate, you know, you mentioned a five, I have a five-year-old boy too, who does not want to learn, right? He, he is not interested in learning. He's not interested in school. And what I've found on occasion is I have to kind of alter the way I teach things and, and kind of, so is that kind of the, do you use different techniques to accommodate each individual? You know, cause we're all different. Totally, uh, that is such a great question because yeah. And the biggest uh, change I made is now learning is personal. We start with the children. When you mm -hmm. think about it, when our children go to school, they have a curriculum and the curriculum is designed and developed 
by policymakers who are not even in the classroom, right? And so learning is dictated by a, a, a standardized curriculum. Mm -hmm. You know, first grade, you learn this. At 8 a.m., you learn this. 3 p.m., you learn this. Nobody functions like that because mm -hmm. everybody is different, especially children. So the biggest change I made in my program and with homeschooling my own children is I make learning personal. And uh, we practice the pedagogy of listening. You know, the, uh, the old approach is teacher shows up like a dictator or sometimes parents. Mm -hmm. I tell you, you need to learn this, you need to do this, the stage on the stage model. And I think that model is broken. So what we do is the guide on the side. You show up as a facilitator. You listen to the children. They know what they want. You know, if I ask you to do something that you have no interest in, of course you don't want to show up. Of course you don't want to learn. I'm the same. I'm a lifelong learner. If you ask me to learn, my husband is in data science. If you <laughs> ask me to learn something about data science, I'm sorry, I'm going to sleep in. No interest, <laughs> right? But if you ask me to learn something about running a business, building a website, click funnel, this and that, yes, I will be up at 5 a.m. because I'm interested. So many parents think that, oh, my children are not motivated, are not interested, are so lazy, this and that. It's not like that. It's because we haven't really discovered something that is their interest. So if you can shift that based on what they are interested in, and if you can develop some project, and it is a game changer. Like a quick story, my eight years old, last year, seven years old, he already went to an alternative school and not interested in school anymore. Seven years old, told us, mommy, daddy, I don't want to go to school anymore. This is so boring. I'm not learning anything, blah, blah, blah. And teacher told us he has ADHD, can't really function. We were like, oh my God, yeah. So we decided to homeschool him, uh, both of them. And so my eight years old, and just a few months after we started homeschooling him, he is like a different kid. And my husband and I, we have to ask him, hey, Aiden, can you stop learning so you can actually go outside, take a break and have lunch, go to sleep? Nowadays, his learning is so fun. Why? Because it is based on his interest. And he loves selling stuff on eBay and he has been selling stuff on eBay. He made some money and he bought me a t-shirt. He bought me a necklace. I'm like, yeah, go for it. So as I'm designing those projects, again, based on his interest, he's learning history, he's learning math, his learning communication, his learning collaboration, it is so much more interesting than doing the traditional workbook. And this is the same approach that I use at my own school. We only do project-based learning. So I ask my students, each of them is launching a podcast. So as they are launching a video live streaming podcast, they are practicing digital networking, reaching out to strangers, which is really hard and having a conversation and building their LinkedIn profile and researching them and developing interview questions. They are learning so much more and they are also doing something they are interested in because their live streaming podcast is based on whatever they're interested in. For some mm -hmm. kids it's fitness, for some people it's uh, creativity, and mm -hmm. for some people it's something else. And then learning is fun. So what do you do about the things, the fundamentals though? When, when you know, I, I don't like math, 
right, but I still needed to know two plus two equals four. So how do you adapt when things are just really, you know, if you had to teach yourself data science, how would you approach yourself if you needed to learn that? So for me, it's again, going back to that purpose-driven. And one of my favorite authors is uh, Daniel Pink. And he talks about uh, intrinsic learning. For any learning uh, to occur or transformation to happen, three core factors. One is uh, mastery. Another one is autonomy. And the third one is purpose. And you want your children to develop that purpose relevance between what they are learning and their life. So if someone asks me to learn data science, <clears throat> the best way to persuade me to learn that, if this person is telling me you have to learn this so that you can grow your business, like, yeah, I'm, I care about my business. I don't really care about data science, but if I need to grow my business in order to do this, yes, I'm onto it, right? So you were asking me about math, the same thing with my eight years old. He doesn't really enjoy learning math. He doesn't really enjoy the workbook. That's why we actually started selling on eBay. When you are selling stuff, guess what you will need? Basic math, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. For some children might be cooking. They're really into cooking and you will have to look at the measurement costs. That is also basic math. Mm -hmm. So my kids, he has been my eight years old, has been learning basic math that mm -hmm. way. Just like this will cost this much. And he has been selling my marks on the website, you know, shipping this much and he's doing very basic. So once you get them a little bit interested in this, so if they need to get to the next level to do a multiplication of more advanced, and he has to take some classes. But now taking classes is not for the sake of learning this, it's for the sake of growing this business because now he has a taste of making money. He has a taste of making mommy so excited wearing this top that he bought for me. He enjoys that because he enjoys that. There's a bigger purpose. And then therefore he's waiting to overcome this really boring subject matter. It's not because he's interested in learning this, but because he's interested in doing something as a result of learning this. Right. And, and I think, I mean, that's a really good point because I think when you learn something and it's very practical in your life, like you're able to actually use it and translate it into here's what I'm doing. You remember it so much better. I mean, there are certain math formulas that I remember from whether it's grade school, high school, college, you know, because I use you remember them. Remember math on, formulas? I, I do actually. <laughs> but, um, but hey, I like data science, but it's all good. Um, but, but here's the thing. There's certain things you remember just because you're, you use them. You know, they're practical in, in the point of using exactly. it. And, and right. to your point, it seems like that's the best way to get them interested and retain retain it seems you know because think about how much we've learned over our lives and the amount we even use that and they will be interested in learning more like mm -hmm. when we uh when we started and uh before we i discovered this kind of project-based learning with my five years old because i have always been working with older children and i don't know how well my my third works well with my own younger children but anyway so before we discovered this uh method and he was I asked him to watch Khan Academy. You know, they have lots of online math classes. He's like, oh, I'm not interested. I can't, it's so boring, can't blah, blah, blah. But after, you know, they, he gained that purpose. You know, he needs to figure out his online business. Now he's actually enjoying watching online math classes. I like, I, I see the change in him because again, 
there's that intrinsic desire and learning this will help me run my business. And also every kid is different, right? For some children, maybe, this is why I love homeschooling so much because traditional school at uh, like first grade, you have to do this, you have to, right? And second grade, we are, we are kind of radical, very disruptive. I don't really follow that curriculum to the T. So maybe now he's not really interested in this, but next year he will be interested in this because I have interviewed, I have a, a podcast on education and I interviewed so many children. When they were young, they had no interest in math, but all of a sudden they wanted to be a gamer. They want to develop some games and all of a sudden that's what they learn on a daily, on an hourly basis. Right. And so it is now come, I think what is really missing is the heart element in education. And that's what I do. Once I inspire the heart, once I can inspire the heart to be interested in something, to learn something, the kid is uh, very unstoppable. They will be willing to learn, get up early in the morning and to figure it out. So we're, we're talking a lot about homeschool. And, and as I mentioned earlier, this is something that is on the top of a lot of, a lot of parents' minds right now. Um, you know, some people, want to, or, you know, some people who never thought about homeschooling are obviously, you know, thinking about that now, you know, some people are doing the virtual learning and some people are going to opt to send their children in. So for those people who are going to start this homeschooling or even virtual learning, because you do need to guide mm -hmm. those younger children, what, what advice do you have for them to kind of, um, enhance that experience if they have no experience. I mean, aside from the three months that we had last at the end of the school totally. year. Totally, yeah. So I, uh, a very common mistake that I think many educators are making or online teachers or maybe uh, parents are making is they think online learning is I make everything online, then I call this online learning. So online learning is not really like that. And uh, technology is really powerful. And many people treat technology as a means to deliver, like what we're doing right now, right? Mm -hmm. To deliver content. But technology has this power to collapse time and the space to bring in a global learning community. And that is how we have been using technology. So for example, and uh, at my school, one part of our curriculum is life skill. So under life skill, we have communication, collaboration, adaptability, emotional intelligence, creativity. So traditionally, when you go to school, you learn something about communication, you take a class, right? So now because of technology, what I did was that I used technology, I connected with some really top trainers in Singapore. So they actually joined my online classroom. They also brought in a few local students from Singapore to actually practice communication, to practice collaboration with my own students and across the time zone difference. And they are working on this and their final product is a live streaming webinar. So they use my social media platform and they did their presentation. We, used, uh, we were live on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Periscope, on Twitch, and on YouTube. And we had a global audience communicating and collaborating and interacting with my students. And to me, that is the power of technology. If you know how you can leverage technology to class, time and space, to globalize, to build a larger learning community that is otherwise 
impossible in the traditional learning classroom. And even my eight years old, and I actually created a LinkedIn profile for him, and he has been uh, doing networking with people on LinkedIn. Most people in his network are my friends because he's really into drawing. So instead of just drawing random pictures, and he actually, every time when he makes uh, a connection on LinkedIn, he will ask this person, hey, Stella, what is your favorite food? And he will actually be drawing a picture of her favorite food for this person. And then we'll actually go to the post office and we'll actually mail that piece of whatever art he has created for that friend. And he has been really enjoying that, you know, again, using mm -hmm. LinkedIn in this case to build, to have that sense of collaboration, even though we're in a very remote learning environment. Another powerful way is that uh, children and parents and educators can give students uh, like an assignment or a project. What are you interested in? You are into Minecraft, right? My eight years old is really into Minecraft. Yes, why don't you start a podcast just talking about Minecraft? So again, they are talking about what they are interested in and you are also teaching them very important 21st century skills such as, you know, like just talking to the camera takes lots mm -hmm. of time to practice communication, active listening, developing questions. So my eight years old is actually developing one. He wants to talk to all those Minecrafters in different countries and doing this. I mean, eight years can do it, 10 years old can do it, it doesn't matter. So everyone can, and it is free, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't want to have a fancy equipment, you can just use your phone and interview someone, use Zoom, and yeah. So to me, those are a lot more powerful than only using computer to deliver content and information. That is very passive, it's really one way. So if you can be more creative, to develop more two-way, more collaborative. To me, that is the true power of technology and social media. Can you take my son? Can you <laughs> take him? <laughs> Teach him something, please. You are wonderful. You're exactly what he needs. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're too kind, yeah. yeah. Here's another learning theory. I think uh, anyone listening to this can probably benefit. And this is a very popular uh, model in uh, learning and uh, leadership development. It is called 70-20-10 model. So what this model talks about is for any learning or transformation, you know, for our children, we want them from where they are to get to where we want them to be. Mm -hmm. So for this journey, this transformation to happen, and there has to be a break. The bridge is kind of... Uh, the 70-20-10 model. So what this model describes is for that change to happen, 10% comes from formal learning. Taking a class, reading a book, and uh, you know, like just like the traditional learning, you know, you go to a school to learn. That is only 10%. And 20% is social learning. That's what I was talking about earlier use social media and technology to build an online learning community, to create, to nurture that social environment. Talking to a teacher, talking to a classmate. That's why I'm not a big fan of pre-recorded videos. To mm. me, that is not learning because you need the social environment, okay? So that is only 20%. 
and 70% is application, experiential learning. And that's why what I mentioned earlier, project-based learning makes so much sense. If you're really good at listening to your children, discover what they are interested in, and develop a project that is catered to their interests, you just need to relax and watch. And then they are going to be, oh my God, learning is so fun, I can't stop learning. So that is a model pretty much what I use and to, to teach my own children and to design my own curriculum really powerful. And that's why I think the traditional education model is not working because they are only working on the 10%, like 90% is missing, right? Or maybe 30%. Yeah. Right. Well, you meant, you mentioned socialization, right? And I, I agree with you, like what happened a lot, you know, with the online learning that happened, there was like, you know, my, my kids, same thing had pre-recorded videos from, you know, teachers, right? It really wasn't interactive. And there was some stuff where they tried, you know, but it really wasn't as interactive as it really should have been. Now, how also besides with the teachers, how do you, you know, you mentioned peers, right? You know, socializing with peers and being able to connect with peers. How do you, how do you blend in that socialization with other kids, right? How, how should that work? Because, you know, you learn from your peers, you learn, you know, it gets you excited sometimes if your peers are excited. How, how do you blend that into it? Totally, there are different ways. And of course, one way is to, to you socialize with your own classmates, right? And you can, hey, you are learning about, you're taking this class, I'm also taking this class, and can we have a separate Zoom chat, right? Like kind of a one-on-one conversation like this. So that is one way. Of course, right now with COVID, we can't do anything in person, but just having a one-on-one conversation, knowing that there's another student learning about this, struggling about this, like, can make you feel a lot better, right? So that is one way for our children because we homeschool them, they don't really have the traditional clothes, not clothes, uh, traditional classes. So what I do is, so they are taking some online classes from out school, different mm-hmm. classes. So if there are students they love and they will schedule their own separate chat and uh, they're also into playing Minecraft. So they're also having that Minecraft community have like this type of one-on-one Zoom chat. Another way is like, I'm a really, uh, especially for older children, I'm a big advocate of using social media. And again, traditionally, many parents and many educators, when they think about social media, oh my God, that is so bad, right? I agree, but social media is like everything else, right? You use a knife, you can use a knife to kill people. You can also use a knife to, to chop veggies, you know, for dinner. <laughs> Right, right? depending on yeah. how you use it, right? Social media is the same because many parents and many uh, educators are only exposed to the not so positive aspect of social media. And then they draw the conclusion, social media is the root of all evil. I strongly disagree. And if they learn how they can use social media, again, this is something they don't learn from school, which I'm really passionate about, if they learn how to use social media to practice digital networking, content creation, that can change their lives. Just use myself as an example. My podcast I interviewed last week, I interviewed Guy Kawasaki. Amazing, right? I worked with Steve Jobs and uh, you know uh, Richard Branson, polished his shoes. Amazing thought leader. Like, I think the likelihood for me to meet Guy Kawasaki in person 
is impossible, right? But because of social media and technology, he and I, we are on the same screen. I also interviewed Neil Patel, Dai Kawasaki, and I also interviewed uh, the mother of the CEO of YouTube. Like so many amazing thought leaders, right? If I could do this, and I think our children need to learn to do the same. In fact, if they are young, they reach out to a thought leader, most people will say yes to them, right? Oh, wow, you are kid. Okay. This is amazing. You are launching a podcast. Great. I will support you. And I personally interview quite a few 12 years old, 13 years old, 15 years old. They launched their own podcast with great success. Not only they are learning about whatever they are talking about, but also they are developing very important soft mm -hmm. skills. Right. Do you actually know research has shown like EQ, emotional intelligence, is actually two times more predictive of a person's long-term success than IQ. But again, most parents, educators, schools, they're only looking at the IQ, right? which is important, but it is only the tip of the iceberg to be future ready. So, you know, launching a podcast, using social media, do a hashtag search. If you are really into a Minecraft, I teach my son, do a hashtag search. And, and then you will discover all the people who are talking about Minecraft, right? Second, you'll go to their profile and practice critical thinking. Is this person a trustworthy person? Can you actually have a conversation? And if the answer is yes, yeah, invite him to be on your podcast. And then you are learning, you are developing this network and you are using social media in a very positive manner to help you be ready for the future and to be ready for your career. Okay, hold on. So I, I want to ask, I have two questions based on that. So first part, do you think that um, if we taught social media at a young age in a traditional setting, and we actually started implementing it in the children's lives earlier, it may not be this very taboo thing later, because we're teaching them how to use it for good, like you talked about. So almost like start giving it to the young children and teaching them what to do with it before they even get clouded with all the negativity and whatnot. Totally, you know, because guess what? Many K-12 uh, in, uh, in the United States, uh, they ban social media completely. But guess what? Children are learning, are using social media anyway, right? Just because you are banning this at the school environment, it does not stop our children from using it, right? If LinkedIn Learning, if McKinsey, if all of those reports are saying digital storytelling is a very important 21st century skill, then where on earth are our children going to develop such skills if they are now learning them from the classroom, right? And also we know cybersecurity, but you have to learn this, right? How to change your password frequently and all those. If you are banning this, how can you even have an educated discussion about social media safety, right? So you have to use it to learn, to practice critical thinking, to look at the, the, the pros, the cons, and the ugly side of social media. And then you are actually preparing them once they graduate, they actually know how to use this. So yes. Answer is yes. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that schools are or education systems are sort of hesitant because of the liability, what they perceive as a liability factor, right? You know, of social media, and if they're sort of teaching it 
you know, do they feel like they become reliable? And then I guess also too, the second part of that is their, their accountability, right, is technically right now only during the school day when they're in school, right? You know, what happens outside of school, I guess, happens outside of school. Is it that they're afraid they're also going to become liable if they're teaching social media what happens outside of school? Uh, totally, that is a factor for sure. And I think a bigger factor is because many educators are not using social media mm -hmm. the way that we're talking about here. So if they don't know how to use social media and they think social media is so bad, of course they're not going to teach the next generation. In fact, one of my side uh, hustle is actually to work with educators to teach them social media so they can teach their students. But many teachers are, are not using social media. They are not learning the positive side of social media. They rejected Twitter, for example, before they are even on Twitter. They rejected <laughs> LinkedIn before they are even on LinkedIn. Of course, they're not going to teach. Like This is something that and another reason that I advocate using social media and creative technology is it is very important for our children to develop a habit of learn, unlearn, and relearn. Mm -hmm. Because today's information is going to be tomorrow's misinformation. That's how fast knowledge is changing. Nothing is static. Everything is organic, evolving all the time. Because that is exactly what is happening to technology. It is changing all the time, right? When you are on LinkedIn, today's LinkedIn, this is the latest algorithm. Tomorrow, it is quite different. So you are constantly learning. You are constantly unlearning. You are constantly relearning. And to me, this is such a great way to prepare them for the future, to act, learn, unlearn, and relearn. So... We talked, you mentioned emotional intelligence and, and, you know, one of the things I was thinking about was what about the folks who are going to send children back to school? I mean, that's, there's a lot of people for many reasons. They want that socialization. Children like to be in school. They have to work, whatever it might be. School's there for a reason also. What, what can parents do to kind of expand the education where the the institution is lacking. You know, what can we do as parents, even though we're not homeschooling, what is it that we can do to implement some of these skills then? Totally, totally. And uh, so, yeah, besides whatever they're learning from school, and I think, uh, you know, uh, a, a big missing link uh, in our current education system, especially as children grow older, is a huge gap between academia and the industry. And I got my BA, I got my MA, I got my PhD, and I chose public relations as my major. But unfortunately, I never had a conversation with a real PR practitioner before I chose this as my major. And by the time I graduated with my PhD, my God, I'm like 30 years old. It is too late to do anything. So that is a big gap. I think the parents need to figure out ways they can really help their children and expose them to real life learning and to have conversations with pr practitioners who are actually practicing what they might be interested in. Because real life, this career in real life is very, very different from what they hear from their teachers, from what they learn from like a few theories on their textbooks, very, very different. And that's why, again, going back to the example I mentioned earlier, I asked my, my students, my own children to launch a podcast 
Right now, my eight years old, everything he can think about is Minecraft. He wants to be a gamer. Yeah, have a conversation with those people. Quickly, he will discover it is actually a very, very tough job. And also, he needs to be really good at math, right? Here, here's another reason for him to learn. So if parents can figure out ways they can use technology to really reduce that gap between mm -hmm. whatever they're learning from school and whatever is happening in real life. So I think we can really help our children make better career choices. We and are the I, bridge, in essence. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I, I worked with, I taught more than 3,000 students. I worked with so many children and oftentimes, and they have no idea what they're interested in. And because for their entire life, everything's dictated, it's given to them, right? You need to learn this, even when they need to choose majors, lawyers, doctors, and, uh, they don't really get to ask, you know, emotional intelligence. One part of emotional intelligence is understanding the self, self-awareness and self-regulation, right? And they don't do enough self-understanding. So that part is really missing. And we need to help our children asking, what are you actually interested in? And talking to those people, right? And even though they don't have a five-year plan, which is totally fun, especially with younger children, what are you interested in now? Let's talk about this, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So those are just like using technology kind of to reduce, to shrink that gap. I think that would be great. And, uh, and there's another book uh, titled uh, A Students Work for C Students, B Students Work for the Government. And I love that book, and which is uh, very true in many of my students. And because A students, their career is very predictable, right? I, I like straight A students and I do this. And whereas oftentimes the C students, they are uh, very disruptive. They are very innovative. I think parents also uh, need to be more critical about this and to understand that in this day and age to succeed in life, having a college degree is only one of the many ways to succeed in life. And oftentimes going back to GPA, I hear from parents, they think that IQ or GPA is the only thing that their children need to be future ready. And that is really only the tip of the iceberg. And you also need like important life skills, emotional intelligence, creativity, collaboration, and all those are very important skills to help you be future ready. And in fact, this is really shocking. GPA is actually inversely related to innovation. So in other words, the higher the GPA, the more obsessed the children are with their academic performance, the less likely they are to innovate. So if you want your children to be a disruptive innovator, to be like a leader, to think outside the box, then you have to train them from very young age to think very differently, to not obey all the time, right? Like uh, when our children were still going to school, one question, like I ask four questions when they get home, what is a good mistake that you made today? And what did you learn? What is a bad mistake that you learned today and why? What is a good point that the teacher mentioned today and what did you learn? And what is a not so accurate point that the teacher mentioned today and why? You need to train them because schools train our children to obey, be really obedient. But if you want them to be an innovator, disruptive leader, 
and school is not helping them, right? So you need to train them from very young age how to think differently and learn to question the status quo, learn to question authority and develop their own way of thinking, own way to look at life. But anyway, yeah. No, you're right. Schools, schools very much do teach them to think in a linear way of the time of how those schools are teaching. Like creativity is not linear. You know, we, we all know that it, you know, comes from different places, different directions. And, it, you know, if you force them into that linear way for the grade, to your point earlier, it, it almost stumps creativity. Do you all hear study? And there's a NASA study that came out uh, a few years ago or maybe recently. And so talking about creativity, they ask children, they want to study children's creativity and mm -hmm. ability to engage in divergent thinking. So they ask four years old, five years old, hey kids, how many ways can you think of using a paper clip? And the young children are like, yeah, this and that, hundreds of. So they scored 98% genius level. Mm -hmm. Five years later, they studied the same group of children, creativity decreased to 50%. Another five years later, the same group of children and the number continued to decrease. By the time they become professionals, adults, the number dropped to 2%. So from 98% to 2%, one compelling argument is that our children have become more educated. So that is the damaging effect of a very structured way of thinking. They are doing way too many multiple choice exams. So I know, I know we're, we're, we're talking so much. I'm having so much fun. Um, but I wanted to ask one more question that was on my mind. And Ed. so should we disrupt her? Well, should we, so here's, what, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about the current situation and, and I know, you know, there's, we're in New York, there aren't any, you know, solid guidelines yet for how the children are going to go back to school if they do, but if they do, there are going to be smaller class sizes. And I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts on how we can seize, well, how the schools can seize the opportunity now that there are some smaller class sizes um, to do some more of this more personal learning with the students? Is that something that, that's come to mind at all? Oh, totally, with a small, I used to teach classes like 300 students, 400 students, I never get to know any student. And now at my school and my position is that my classes are very small. And I, yeah, I think that's great because you are actually creating a much safer environment for children to open up, to collaborate, to make mistakes, totally. And uh, again, like class, they can use technology. They can, hey, our class, we're learning, for example, communication. Why don't we have a Zoom session with another class, maybe in New York, or maybe in Philadelphia, where's, uh, which is where I am right now, or maybe in a different country, right? Maybe in Brazil, and let's have a conversation about communication. I think that would be really, really amazing. And uh, you, you really broaden our students' uh, perspective on life. And they are almost like study abroad without being abroad. And I think that is really powerful. And because you have that small class size, everyone can open up, can ask questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. I think this is definitely a great thing 
And like, I think the traditional lecture hall, like a few hundred students in the, in the same room, oh, absolutely does not work. Absolutely. A few <laughs> days ago, I had a conversation uh, yesterday, actually, with a high schooler uh, going to a public school. I asked her, I said, oh, would you agree with me that uh, many children actually don't really enjoy going to school? And she said, uh, definitely not many, but almost like nobody enjoyed going to school. And I, I think if we uh, teachers can be a little bit more creative and figure out ways that they can, you know, leverage technology again, you know, Zoom, everyone is using Zoom now to create a more like collaborative learning environment, give the state to the students, right? Retire the teacher, let them honor the state, let them talk and let them collaborate and ask questions and to make learning more fun, more personal, more relevant. Yeah, I, I don't think I remember any of the lecture hall professors I ever had in college. Me like, either, I, I was like sleeping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is not learning. That is absolutely not learning. Short term uh, memory, another, uh, you just reminds me of another uh, framework that I use. Uh, another reason I am such an advocate of using social media to create there's a very popular learning model. It's like uh, kind of hierarchical. The lowest level of learning is memorization. The highest level of learning uh, in terms of cognitive development is creation. So if we can all ask our children to create, you know, and, and we, we, we're really helping them to be future ready because the lower level will very soon be replaced by AI. I mean, already has, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to remember phone numbers. Then why are we still asking our children to memorize this and that? Nobody needs to. Google has all the answers, right? But to move them from a lower cognitive level to a higher level, and the highest level is to create. Whatever they love, don't say, hey, that is a stupid idea, but oh, that's a great idea. Can you teach me? Can you create something? Teach me. I like that. Oh, this was such a wonderful conversation. <laughs> really? Thank you. I could talk about this forever. I have so many, so many theories, so many studies in my mind. So I, I also, I, I'm having a great time. So thank you. I, can you please let everybody know where they can learn more about you and what you do? It's, it's really important work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I'm the founder of uh, Classroom Without Walls and where we believe the best education happens outside the classroom and we future-proof the next generation by teaching them what schools are not. And so people can learn more about me on my website uh, classroom without was dot AI, which is my name dot AI. So yeah, they can has uh, my website has all of my social media handles and everything yeah, about me. Awesome. Brand. And they can also join my live streaming show. I go live uh, twice a week. On Wednesday, uh, my show focuses on social media marketing, entrepreneurship, business development. And on Friday, the show mainly focuses on education. I mainly have parents actually watch that show. We discuss, debate, and disrupt education with the intention to future-proof the next generation. So they can also catch me live Wednesday and Friday. Thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate your time. Appreciate it. Honored, thank you. <laughs>